Isn't that a great start? I have made, <coughs> I've, I've preached in, uh, my wife stopped counting at a thousand churches. And I've made every liturgical mistake that you could make. I have dipped when you're supposed to drink, and I have drunk when you're supposed to dip. People are a lot more grossed out by that. <coughs> and um, I was in front of 4,500 students in an auditorium uh, talking, and I said that nobody would have any use for what I did in heaven. Uh, who needs an emergency room doctor in heaven, and who needs a an amateur theologian in heaven, but if if you're in the band, good news, because the band plays on. Does that sound like sound theology to you? Yeah. Not at Abilene Christian University, where they do not use instruments. So. <laughs> Larry asked me to first, before I talked about the Sabbath, to tell you my testimony, and it's my testimony, you got to listen to it, you're in church, and uh, uh, I'm, by training, uh, not, not a pastor, but I'm an emergency room doctor, and the first offer I want to make to you, which I made to the last service, and nobody took me up on it, is that the number one question I get asked is, do you still practice medicine? The answer is no. And then people ask, do you miss it? And the, the answer is absolutely. I love practicing medicine. Uh, and um, I, I love practicing emergency room medicine. I'm not an adrenaline junkie. I just really loved it. There's only one bad side of emergency medicine, and that's giving people bad news. And I remember, like, one day I had to call uh, somebody, and I got their labs, and I said, I've got bad news, and I've got really bad news. And they said, what's the bad news? And I said, you're going to die in 48 hours. And they said, what's the really bad news? And I said, I, I couldn't get a hold of you yesterday. So <laughs> that's a joke. <laughs> but this is not a joke. I miss medicine so much that if anybody during any part of the service would like to drop dead, it would make me so happy. I'll try to resuscitate you. Let me tell you how I became a Christian. I did not become a Christian until I was in my mid to late 40s. Uh, I grew up in a rural area, and I went to church some as a little kid, and then my family sort of imploded, and I didn't go anymore. Uh, life was tough. I was living on my own by the time I was 16. I barely got through um, high school. And uh, I became a carpenter. And I was doing that for years. And um, one day I was working on this house. And they were my favorite kind of customers to have. They were rich. And, uh, and the, the, the people who owned this house, the guy was a periodontal surgeon. And they were Jewish. And they had four children. When I met their 18-year-old daughter, their worst nightmare began to unfold. She has been my wife for the last 35 years. And um, 
my wife is not with me this morning. She she normally is, so I, I can say this line. When when we got when we got married, her family was so upset. Has anybody here ever had a potential father in law offer you money to go away? <laughs> <laughs> so we got married and I faced this dilemma, which was a life with in-laws that didn't care for me. And this is a pretty tough situation. If you're marrying into a Jewish family and you're not Jewish, there is only one thing you can do to get on the good side of your in-laws. And I knew what it was. And so I decided to go to medical school. And uh, my academic record was so bad, but I had this uh, uncle who um, was connected, and they made me a resident of the state, and, I, and he said, you're in the state university, and you've got one semester, and the rest is up to you. And with my wife's support, in two and a half years, I was accepted to multiple medical schools without an undergraduate degree. Yeah, shows you what you can do if you marry my wife. And uh, I worked very hard, and we had our first uh, child, a son, at the end of medical school, and I had my second, uh, my daughter, in residency, and turned out that I just was made to be an ER doctor. I love it. The crazier things get, the calmer I get, uh, and it was wonderful. We moved to the coast of New England, uh, to a small town in Maine, right on the coast, and uh, we were raising our kids there. In our religion was the American dream. Get ahead, own a nice house, eat jumbo shrimp, that sort of thing. And um, we went on vacation one February uh, to get away from the cold. And we went and we stayed on an island off the coast of Florida, the southwest coast of Florida. And uh, one of my goals for that vacation was to spend some time with my wife without my kids or with them asleep um, because I'd been working really hard. Somebody's laughing. They've had this too. Okay. We love you kids. And we love you when you take a nap too. Um, <laughs> so anyways, I tried to get my kids worn out that day and I paid them for a, doll a dollar for every gecko that they could catch. And uh, just ran them and ran them and ran them. And dinner time came and I fed them extra. And bedtime came and read the story to them, you know. And they would not go to sleep. And my frustration began to grow. Because my expectations were spending time alone with Mrs. Sleep. And I was spending time with two wired little kids. And so as my frustration grew... I decided to take matters into my own hands, and I gave them Dimatap. Don't ever do this. And if you do, never give more than 10 milligrams per kilogram. <laughs> so, <clears throat> they went down for the count. <laughs> and uh, Nancy and I were sitting out on this balcony, and... The wind was blowing across the Gulf of Mexico, and the Milky Way was spread out, and 
palm trees were rustling and everything. And my wife asked me a question. She said, Matthew, what do you think the biggest problem in the world is? Uh, and my wife doesn't ask hypothetical questions of me. Um, and I said, um, the world is dying. And I just rattled off a bunch of things. I actually went to trees. I said, there's no elms on Elm Street. There's no caribou in Caribou, Maine. There are no chestnuts on Chestnut Street, you know, on and on. And then she said, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> so I went and I poured her a nice big Dimatap. <laughs> and uh, she went to sleep. And we came back to our life. Uh, and that question disturbed me. <coughs> in retrospect, I understand that that was the Lord talking to me. Uh, but I didn't understand it at that time. And a series of things began to happen to us that kind of rocked our world. And the first was that my wife had one brother, and he drowned in front of my children. And that made my kids really serious, made my son in particular go into a very serious period. I think it changed his life. He's much more serious because of that. Uh, their family went into uh, a bit of a tailspin because um, he was a Wharton graduate and they, were, they had banking businesses. And my wife got depressed and she didn't get treated. And I began to live in this kind of molasses world, I call it. It was very difficult to get through the day. <coughs> the next thing that happened is uh, that I had a patient who became obsessed with me and uh, he began to stalk me. It is a scary thing to go to work at night knowing that there's somebody that knows where you live. And uh, he followed me to one hospital. I was moonlighting in an hour away, left a note, scared me. The police went and checked and found his mother in the closet where he had left her body a week before. And uh, my marriage got worse and worse and worse. And um, home situation got harder. And uh, then on a perfect fall morning, a Tuesday morning, I got home from working the night shift, and um, my wife came in and said, we've got to turn the television on. Something really bad is happening in New York. And everybody remembers where you were on that September day. But uh, I got a, a call a very short while later from my next-door neighbor. Her son is my son's age. They'd grown up together. And uh, she said, can you help me get Jamie from school and tell him that his dad was in the first place? So <coughs> life was not looking really good for me. Uh, my marriage was shot. Um, and I really woke up to the fact that there was evil on the planet. And my worldview up until that point had been um, rational thinking science all the world needed was better science. Uh, but evil is a spiritual concept. It doesn't, it doesn't get under a microscope. It doesn't allow itself to be measured. Uh, and I went looking for answers. <coughs> I was on the coast of Maine. Uh, it's, a, it's a less churched place than the coast of uh, the, uh, the Portland on the other side of the country even. And uh, so 
I read uh, some sacred texts. I read uh, the Ramayana first. I read the Bhagavad Gita. These are Hindu, uh, Hindu uh, epic uh, texts. I read the Quran. I read the Book of Mormon. I read lots of New Age stuff, and I did not find an answer for what do you do about a world that's dying and a world that has evil in it. <coughs> and on a Sunday morning in the emergency department, it was really slow, and I had nothing to read. I'm a voracious reader. My, my whole family are voracious readers. And, um, and so I was going a little dingy, and I went out into the waiting room, which was empty, but to see if I could find anything to read. And they had the usual People magazines and the old National Geographics. Everybody's been in a hospital waiting room. They have that. But on the table, there was an orange book. And I picked it up. I will never forget looking at this book and saying, hmm, Holy Bible. I've never read this. And uh, thinking, you know, maybe, maybe I should read this. Uh, but we didn't have one at home. And I knew there was no way I could finish it before the first patient came in. So I stole it. <laughs> and I met Christ. And Christ was more real to me than anything I had ever met. And that changed my life. Uh, I knew that this was the Lord. Uh, I gave that Bible to my son uh, a few months later, and somehow I found out about the book Mere Christianity, and I gave him that to read as well. Uh, a lot of you might be, who here is in seminary or a theologian? Raise your hand. So a number of you. I'm going to say something that's heretical, but for forgive me. My son believes that we should open the canon and stitch Mere Christianity in between. <laughs> <laughs> Acts and Romans. <laughs> uh, it worked. And he became a Christian. And my wife uh, just had an experience that Christ was beside her. He told her he was there. And my daughter was next. Um, and we were all on the same page. And I, I realized that what do you do about a world that's dying? What do you do about evil in the world? Christ. That's the only answer. Um, and uh, But I felt very called uh, to do more, and I didn't know what that was. And I made a leap of faith, and I came to my wife, and I said, I believe that the Lord is calling me to quit my profession. I, had, I was the chief of staff, head of the emergency department, uh, and we're going to go out in faith. Can you imagine how thrilled this Jewish woman was that I was quitting right before the kids were coming up on college. <laughs> uh, but she loves me, and we did that, and it was a leap of faith. One of the other leaps of faith that we took was to start keeping the Sabbath. Uh, we are a pretty type A plus family, and so to keep the Sabbath was a big leap, and it was a leap for my children, who were in a very, very, at the moment we began, very competitive high school, and, but we began to keep it. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, <coughs> is Sabbath. Because I've kept it for 12 years, and uh, it has changed my life. And it's really changed my understanding of the Lord. And it's allowed me, I think, to get more stuff done for God. Uh, when I grew up, 
and many of you here when you were younger, Sabbath was just a cultural default. Um, it wasn't just a cultural default, but even if you didn't believe in God, you stopped on Sunday. If you did believe in God, you went to church, and then you stopped on Sunday. And uh, where I grew up, you couldn't buy groceries, you couldn't buy gasoline, you couldn't buy medicine. There was only one place in town that would take your money on a Sunday. And, uh, and so all these things you couldn't do, and yet my memories of Sunday are really good as a kid. Uh, and I have not one distinct memory of a Tuesday growing up. I remember Sunday. Those memories were made possible by a gift from the Lord. No people on this planet have ever stopped one day in seven that didn't get that gift from the Lord. It was a gift that God gave to Moses and the Hebrew people. He gave it to them before he gave them the Ten Commandments. The first thing God did as he brought the people out of Egypt was to give them the Sabbath. Uh, later, he gave them the Ten Commandments. And we're going to read the Sabbath commandment together. This is the longest of the Ten Commandments. So let's read it together. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the longest uh, commandment in Scripture. It is different than the other commandments in many respects. And one of those is that this commandment was woven into creation. You remember the creation story that in six days God made uh, things and he started kind of what we might call simple, physicists might call that, in, in you know, kind of light and matter. And each day he built on that. And as God did that, he said things were good, right? When he made trees on day three, God said it was good. And when the creepy crawly things came out of the ocean, God said it was good. And God is always building something a little more complicated, a little more special. And when God made Adam, you know, that's good. And then, because you women are more complicated, God made you next. And then God said what? Very good. Yeah. Yeah. And then God made something woven into creation. He made rest. And it wasn't just good. And it wasn't just very good. God said what when he made rest? Holy. This is holy. And so that commandment is about something that's woven into creation. It's not subtractable. It's like gravity. Because it reflects the character of God. 
Now, I want us to do a little exercise here. And this is going to be fun, I promise. Or your money back. I want folks to buddy up and spend a little time discussing with each other your best memories of Sunday when you were growing up. What did you do on that day? Where'd you go? Who'd you see? What makes it that you have memories of Sunday and not of a particular Tuesday or Wednesday? So discuss what you did, what made that day special, what are your best memories, maybe even what didn't you do on that day. You take the time doing it, and um, I'll keep track of the time, and we'll come back. Buddy up and share. All right. I will interrupt you. Everybody has a smile on their face right now. Uh, it's, it's really nice to see all the smiles when people do this exercise. I want to talk to you about the Ten Commandments and uh, how they are placed and ordered. Uh, first of all, let's take a vote on the Ten Commandments. Everybody thinks the Ten Commandments good idea. Raise your hand. All against. Whoop. We got one against back over here. <laughs> That's a first. Uh, pretty much generally, it's unanimous. Uh, people are all in favor of the Ten Commandments. How many keep the Sabbath commandment? Raise your hand. A few. Uh, that's a new thing. Um, for the last couple thousand years, Christians have kept the Sabbath, the Lord's Day. They kept it on Sunday. Um, but let's look at the Ten Commandments for a minute. The Ten Commandments are arranged in two groups. The first group is about God. I'm the Lord your God. You'll have no other gods above me. You are not to make idols of me. You can't conjure me up. Uh, and uh, to call on the Lord's name is such a privilege that to use it in a wanton fashion, it, to take it in vain, is uh, bad news. So those commandments are about God, are they not? And we're going to put them over on this side of the room. And commandments 5 through 10 are about people. Um, Honor your parents. Don't kill. Don't uh, run around. Don't uh, lie, cheat, steal, put stuff on your credit card to keep up with your neighbors. It's paraphrased. Thou shall not put stuff on your credit card. So um, <coughs> those commandments are about people. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Where does that commandment go? Heaven, earth, God, people. Where does it go? Both, correct. It goes to both. We know that God observes it. God observed the Sabbath. Um, and we know that it, it, it is meant for humans. It's, it's not meant to be, um, we weren't, made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for us. We know it's a gift to us. Um, and so I think of the Sabbath as a bridge between heaven and earth. Because we know this is the only commandment that God is specifically applies to God. Um, so we know that God walks out onto this bridge. 
and we know that we walk out on. Now, let's think about the memories that you had of Sunday growing up. How many of you went to church on Sunday? Pretty common activity. Figures, huh? Um, when you go to church, you do a bunch of stuff that you almost take for granted. Um, you sing on that day. What other day of the week do people get together and sing? They don't. This, this is the day that we sing. And we read the Lord's word. We just read it, some of it. And we pray. We have corporate prayer and individual prayer. And we do all these things. Um, it's good stuff, right? How many of you remember having meals with family? Yeah. How many of you remember that that was the day that dad was home? A lot of you. That uh, particularly dad's had to travel a lot. That was the day he was home. Uh, how many of, by the way, having meals together is the number one memory that people have. Uh, how many of you took a nap on Sunday? Good. I like nappers. Um, how many of you were made to take a nap on Sunday? Okay. Uh, how many of you remember that you didn't go shopping that day? Yeah. Your memories are not random. Your memories fall into two groups. <laughs> uh, you went to church. You, you sang. You prayed. Commandments one through three, correct? Uh, honor your parents. We had meals together as a family. Any grandparents here? Raise your hand. Anything better than your kids coming to eat with you? No, that's as good as it gets. Except for maybe them not coming and just the grandkids coming. <laughs> Uh, <coughs> so you, on that day, on that Sunday, you're honoring your parents. Thou shalt not kill. Physically impossible to kill while you're taking a nap. Okay? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Why do you think some of you were made to take naps on that day? Uh, in fact... I think that a lot of problems in marriage stem from the fact that we're going 24-7. That people simply fall out of touch. They don't have time for each other. But this was the Lord's plan for weaving a family back together. Um, thou thou shalt um, you know, not covet. And it was a day without shopping, which helped with that. And in fact, all of these memories are good memories because everybody has a smile on their face. There's a couple of you that grew up in legalistic homes, and I'll address that in a moment. But for the most part, everybody has great memories on Sunday, and yet no one's keeping it anymore. And we're involved in an experiment in the church, which the church has never tried before. We never tried to subtract Sunday and see if it would work. Now, people in history have known that this is a good way to get rid of God. In the French Revolution, they were very intentional about this, and they wanted to get rid of the king, and they wanted to get rid of God and the church. King's easy. Separate him from his head. Yeah. Um, church, a little harder. So they changed the calendar, and they went to a 10-day week 
with no Sunday on it. When Stalin and Lenin had their Russian Revolution and they wanted to get rid of the church, they knew what the French had done and they changed the calendar and went to a five-day week with no Sunday on it. And Russia ran for years on that calendar. We're doing the equivalent by going 24-7. And I don't know how the experiment's going to go. D.L. Moody made a prediction. He said that if we lost the Sabbath, we would lose the church. And if we lost the church, we would lose the family. And the next thing that would go would be the nation. I leave it to you to decide whether Moody was a prophet or just uh, an alarmist. Uh, I think we're on that path. And um, the good news is you can do something about it. Uh, I started keeping the Sabbath 12 years ago. I live a very productive life, and my kids do, and my my wife does. Um, And we've done it, and it has honored us. When I think of the Sabbath, I think of this memory of my kids, and uh, it's kind of like my ideal Sabbath moment. Uh, it was a fall. We're living in Maine. It's like uh, October, and we're in this attic of our house, and it's huge. This is before I, well, by the way, when I quit my job, our lifestyle changed. If anybody, after the service, wants to know how to cut your income to one-tenth of what it is right now, I can help you. All right? Um but this is when we still we, we still had the big house. And uh, we're in this attic, and it's cold outside, but it's, like, perfectly warm in the attic. Have you ever been in that? It's, like, perfect. And this giant attic, and all it had in it was a hammock and one rope over to the side. And my kids used to go, and in the evening, we would get in that attic, and I had one on each arm and read a book, and my son's pulling and we're reading that book. And uh, I finished, and I set the book down, and my son fell asleep, and the, and the hammock just stopped like this, both kids asleep on my arms. There's nothing better in the universe <laughs> than children that you love and that love you asleep on your arms. And to me, I, I kind of want to get in that place with God, just like John, the beloved, who rested on Jesus' arm. We're told of that description. So that's what I had for in my Sabbath. Um, Some of you uh, might have uh, a situation that uh, you came from a legalist home. It's not that common anymore, but I want to give you the one warning about Sabbath if you take it up, and that is legalism. Does everybody know what I mean by legalism? Legalism is when you know the rules, but you don't know why you're doing the rules. And uh, a friend of mine, Eugene Peterson, uh, told me this story. Uh, He's the guy who did the message. And he told me this story about he was um, uh, asked by some parents to pick up some kids and take them to church because the parents had to do something. And so he picked the kids up and he took them to church and he's bringing them home and he stops by the ice cream shop and he gets these four little kids ice cream cones, puts them in the back seat, and he and his wife Jan are driving down the road and he turns around and he looks and all the kids are just standing there or sitting in the back seat with the ice cream melting over their hands. And he said, what's the matter? Are you kids allergic to ice cream? And they said, no, we're not allowed to eat it on Sunday. Can you fathom? 
that's how it got the name, Ice Cream Sunday. <laughs> and, and so don't be a legalist uh, l- like that. Um, Jesus had to deal with these legalists. There was a sect of Judaism when Jesus came along. I'm not making this up who would not move their bowels on the Sabbath. How do you think it got the name restroom? Okay. So, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) The point is that people can take something beautiful and turn it into this legalistic kind of thing. And Jesus had to deal with that. And so Jesus, I think, does more teaching about Sabbath than practically anything. He does the majority of his miracles on the Sabbath. He is again and again teaching about what the Sabbath was made for. And he does all of one kind of miracle on the Sabbath. He doesn't walk on water that day. He doesn't feed 5,000. He doesn't feed 4,000. Every miracle that he does is healing. And I believe that Christ is teaching us that this Sabbath is meant to heal us. Uh, People actually live longer if they keep the Sabbath. The longest lived group in the United States is in Loma Linda, California. Anybody know what's in Loma Linda, California? The hospital. What kind of hospital? Seventh day Adventist. (laughs) Yeah, Seventh day Adventist. They keep the Sabbath. Um, People live longer. You'll live longer. Uh, I want to, um, I didn't say this in the last service, but many of you have kids. And you might be wondering, how can my kids make it through if they don't do work on the Sunday? Because more and more kids are being asked to work on Sunday. And my kids didn't. Starting in high school, they did no homework on Sunday. How did that turn out for them? My son graduated first in his high school class. My daughter didn't graduate from high school. She started college early. She took the SATs and she missed two questions. She disputes one. Okay? (laughs) They did this in college. They did not study on Sunday. How did it turn out for him? My son, first in his class, after three years, he graduated from college. My daughter, she took four years, but she got two degrees. 4-0, first in her class. How did it turn out for my son in medical school? First in his class. The youngest med school graduate from University of Kentucky ever. In residency, he's done the same thing. Um, it doesn't mean you're going to fail. My, and my, my son and his wife are going into missionary medicine full time. Uh, it means that the Lord will honor you. If anybody has money problems... I'm going to switch, and you might understand it this way. If any has, anybody has money problems, I'll tell you the first thing you should do. Tithe. Tithing rearranges your whole understanding of who owns what. God owns it all. We get the privilege of stewarding it, and you tithe, and everything gets better. I don't know people that have money problems that tithe. Uh, because you realize that that it's a whole different way of looking at it. How many of you have time problems right now where you feel like you've got too much to do, too many demands, too many text messages, too many emails? 
And the way you're going to try to deal with it is work harder, work longer. And the Lord's way of dealing with it is stop one day out of the week. Think of it as a tithe of time. So the Lord gets the first dime out of every dollar. The Lord gets the first day out of the week. And it, and it works well. Um, how am I, am I out of time? I'm out of time. What? I got more time? Can I do Q&A? Yeah. We can do whatever we want. Lock the doors. <laughs> I will take two questions. You can ask me any question. Yes. It has to be nice, though. Right. Yeah. The question is, what does Sunday look like? Or what does Sabbath look like? Or the Lord's Day? What, what is keeping this, the intent of this commandment look like? And people get sick on Sundays. So what, what about my, my kid who's a doctor, my, my daughter-in-law who's a physician's assistant? Uh, the ideal is to observe this on Sunday, the Lord's Day. That's always been the ideal. But Jesus says, what about if your kid falls in a well and gets sick? <laughs> Obviously, human life comes up, you know, first. Uh, so for those of you who are um, either you or your spouse or children, um, have to uh, work in medicine or you uh, a police officer or nurse or or whatever um, you have to shift it around um, I was just preaching in a church in um, Kitty Hawk and uh, there's a church there that has a very big Monday night service because there's this giant turnover in town so the church is accommodated because that's what the workforce has to do. So a whole community can accommodate, but the ideal is Sunday. Um, we do not um, do commerce on that day if we can help it. Uh, now, what happens if I have to go to a restaurant on Sunday? Here's what we do, and here's what the people who work for us. And by the way, you guys sent us Adam York. He works for our organization. Thank you, thank you, thank you. He's, he's a saint, he's fabulous. This church did something great <laughs> to produce Adam. Uh, anyways, so if Adam or one of the other folks who works for us has to go and eat on a Sunday, um, they are given money by our ministry so that they can tip 100%, whatever the bill is. I have never had anybody complain about this. I just, I just leave a note that says, I'm sorry to make you work on Sunday. May the Lord bless you this day and I tip 100%, and they do the same thing. Um, when I started working in medicine, if you were a nurse and you had to work on Sunday, you got paid time and a half. But, so there was a compensation. There was at least an understanding that, um, that you should be compensated, that, that it was an extraordinary thing to have to work on that day. Now, can you imagine what would happen down at Denny's or Golden Corral or what? what you have high-class places here, shuckers or something like that. If, if everybody getting out of church tipped 100%, how long do you think it would take them to say what's going on at church? And has anybody here ever waited tables? Yeah. Are, are people coming out of church the big tippers? No. It, it's amazing. Uh, people on Friday night seem to be able to do math better than folks coming out of church. And we're supposed to be known for our generosity. 
And to keep that in mind, that Sabbath is about generosity. It's about outrageous generosity. God's saying, take the day off. And we just pass it along. Uh, so uh, no commerce. Church, if you can. It's best if it's Sunday. If not, you have to move the day. Um, one of the things that I do is I look for a miracle every day. I jot it down, and I review the miracles from the six days before. If you look for a miracle every day, what do you think happens? You'll find it. Yeah, you'll find it. You'll realize you're living in a world surrounded with miracles. One last question, and then you're out of here. You can go home and take a nap. <laughs> yes. What do I do on a Sabbath? Um, <clears throat> I don't work. And, and the question might be, well, what is work? And uh, uh, the definitions of work have changed. If I were to take uh, people that were slaves coming out of Egypt with Moses and bring them here uh, to Wake Forest to show them what work is like on a Monday morning. And so I've got this slave who's been making bricks, all right? And I say, now look, someone here is going to work. And that person is in a padded chair. They're reaching for their Starbucks. And they're sipping it. And the air conditioning or the heat, whatever's needed, is blowing on them. They're staring at a bright screen. We're coming up on the work now. They depress a key through a quarter of an inch of non-resistance. And I say, look at them work. <laughs> they go, hmm. And I say, okay, let's, let's come here in August. And I'll bet you there's somebody around here that has a 5K fun run in August, right? So they're out there half naked. It's 100 degrees. They're running on blacktop for miles. For what? For fun. The slave would say, give me some of the work. <laughs> so the definitions have changed. Uh, so for you uh, to bicycle on that day or to garden or something might be the kind of rest and relaxation that you need. Um, you, but to make somebody else work is different and to do commerce is different. So those are the things I do. Very good question. Thank you. Let me, uh, let me say that, that the whole world is trying to take this away. To get it back is not going to be easy. You're going to have to do it as a group. You're going to have to value it. And you're going to have to understand that it will change the trajectory of your lives and your children's lives. I honestly believe that a home where this happens, the kids are so much more likely to grow up believing in the Lord. Because they will understand the Lord not as a taskmaster, but as a prince of peace. And that's a really neat God to know. Um, the book 24-6, I think you have a few left or you're out. You can, you can get it. If somebody cannot afford it, you write to my ministry. We'll send it to you. We don't care. Okay? Is that a deal? All right. So let me pray. And then you can go home and eat. And if somebody doesn't go to a restaurant and tip 100%, shame on you, okay? <laughs> oh, I'll just have the salad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, let's bow our heads. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you for the fellowship that we have here. Thank you for the freedom that we have. Thank you that we have a choice whether or not we can 
observe this commandment, whether or not we can open this gift. We know that there's a lot of people who live in a, in a bondage. We know there are people who do not have control over their lives or their time, and they get no choice. They are slaves. You declared that you were here to set the captives free, and you have deputized us. We will not be able to do that unless we understand your peace ourselves. So invade this church with your peace, with your Holy Spirit, and let them know you and spread that as beaming, smiling evangelists to a world that doesn't know what to do about the fact that it's speeding up. I ask all of these blessings in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.